can't ride on my little red wagon. You can't ride on my little red wagon. Front seat's broken in the wicket, the wicket, the wicket, the wicket. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is the Nick Bartlett Show. This is a Sports Pack 12 original. So don't forget it, y'all knuckleheads. If you didn't figure it out by the title, my name is Nick Bartlett. I'm the broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer at Oregon Sports News. I've had my articles featured in the Seattle PI, 750 The Game, and Go Local PDX, and a bunch of other random media outlets and places and shenanigans and all like that. This is a sports show about Pac-12, current events, affairs, obviously the action of the field, and the conference in totality. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, if you've been here for a long time, eh, maybe thank you. Nah, nah, thank you for coming on. And without further ado, let's get to some Pac-12 action. Welcome back to the Nick Bartlett Show, everybody. It's March, baby. It is freaking March, which means that the Pac-12 tournament is right around the corner. The NCAA tournament is right after that. So the hoops action is reaching its pinnacle. Very exciting this time of the year, to say the least. I'm freaking ecstatic. (laughs) Seriously, guys, I love March Madness. In today's episode, we're inviting Dane Miller back on the show. Dane is, of course, Sports Pack 12's assistant editor and is the main hoop guy for Sports Pack 12. So I'm very excited to have him on the show to break down the Pac 12 tournament. After that, I'm going to tell you why I don't think that UCLA is one of the top two teams in conference. And as always, baby, as freaking always, We'll end the show with Bartlett's random topic of the day, which today includes a little bit of a twist. Without further ado, I'm going to kick it down to Dane in Tucson, and he's going to give you a breakdown and some insights on the upcoming Pac-12 tournament. Thanks, Nick. Glad to be back on the show. Been a minute. We are talking about Pac-12 men's basketball, specifically the tournament in Las Vegas, which is going to be fantastic, except for the fact that there's not going to be Really any fans there, except for I think there are some reports that have showed family members will be able to to go to the games, which is cool for them, but it sucks for us because if you've never been to the Pac-12 tournament, I highly recommend it. I've been to three. I think it was 2014, 2015, and 2016 or 17. don't remember exactly which one. I've seen UCLA win, I've seen Arizona win, and I've seen Oregon win. All great tournaments, all a lot of fun. You see everybody there, different fan bases, and there's several other tournaments going on at the same time. There's the Mountain West, and there's another one of the uh, smaller conferences that's whatever, nobody cares about anyways. But that that's also going on at the same time. Uh, so you see people in the elevator wearing like Wyoming stuff, Boise State stuff. Uh, you know, there's UNLV fans there because they live there and everything, but it's a great atmosphere that's uncomparable to anything else that's out there. I want to go back. It's expensive. It's Vegas for a week. You're going to spend a lot of money. It sucks, but it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. If you're over 21, you can gamble sports. Lots of fun, too. There's all these other conference tournaments going on at the same time. You can parlay your bets. It's a lot of fun. Highly recommend if you have the opportunity once in your life to do it. This year, the Pac-12 tournament, you know, uh, I think it's it matters the most 
to USC. And okay, right now this podcast is being recorded Tuesday night. So the Wednesday night games have not yet happened yet. But for me, the biggest impact that these results are going to have on any individual team is USC. They're trending in the wrong direction, going absolutely south. They need to perform well in Las Vegas. If they do, they can turn their season around because it's not going great right now. They've lost three out of the last four. They lost to Arizona, and then they got swept in the mountain programs. To They even lost to Utah. The Colorado loss kind of expected. The Utah loss was really a head-turner and shocking. They did not play well. Evan Mobley, you know, it's funny because I remember DeAndre Ayton, and a lot of the Arizona fans were extremely upset with the team not getting the ball to him. And if you think about it, a big man is not a natural player that's going to get the ball every single possession like he probably should when you're as skilled as Evan Mobley. And that just doesn't happen because the guards run the system. The guards are the ones that distribute the ball, that take the majority of the shots, that are responsible for getting the ball into the paint, entry passes to your big man. And when your guards aren't playing well, specifically when they are not hitting their shots from the outside, you know, even when they drive in the paint, they're not making their layups. And the resulting, every time they get to the free throw line, they're missing free throws. It gets in their head. And then they don't play as well. And so Evan Mobley, Isaiah Mobley, and the other bigs aren't being set up as well. Turnovers happen. That's what's happening to USC. It comes down to the guard plays. It has nothing to do with Evan Mobley. It's the guards. The guards are the issue at USC over the past three or four games. That's the problem. That's where you need to address your issues. You fix that and you fix it well. Then you're going to do well in the NCAA tournament because the, the, the Trojans are a freaking matchup nightmare. They have so so much length. They're tall. Every single one of their the tallest team in the country, right? A, a team that's small like Oregon can't handle that at all. They're just outmatched. And so you really you need your guards to play well. The guards play well. Uh, USC is going to do a lot better. And so when it comes to the Pac-12 tournament, the the Trojans are are the ones that I'm going to be most interested in watching how they do. And it'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out for them. The second team that I think is the most important for is probably the Colorado Buffaloes, mostly because they've had some poor losses. Uh, they, they lost in Seattle to UW. They lost in Berkeley to Cal, and then they collapsed in the last 10 minutes to Utah. Those are three bad losses. The Utah one is not, I don't think it's technically a bad loss, but it's not a good loss considering how it was done. And the Buffs are playing great over the last two or three games, playing fantastic. They swept uh, the LA schools. The game against UCLA was very impressive, uh, fantastic win. They got Jabari Walker back, who the freshman uh, forward. He can shoot outside shots. He was out for, ah, gosh, I don't know, several weeks. He missed a lot of games. I think he missed at least six. And he's finally back. He looks healthy. He's back in the lineup. He's one of those guys that can pop out to the three line and just knock down shots. And he, He's another one of those guys that's just a, a matchup problem because he's tall. Uh, he's got speed. He can uh, handle the ball. And he makes his outside shots, which is really important for a big man in the modern game. Uh, so, yeah, Colorado is my uh, second biggest uh, factor that I got going on the Pac-12 tournaments. 
And of course, Oregon and UCLA, you know, those are two teams that you just expect to do well. So any stumbles by them would be noteworthy, but I'm expecting those both of those programs to make the semifinals of the conference tournament. So um, those are kind of just a given for me. I don't really think I need to go into Oregon and UCLA because we all know that they're good. Um, they're probably the two best teams in the conference, uh, depending on you know how Colorado is playing at, at the present time. Same with USC. But those four teams, you know, those it, it's really gonna set up the seeding and the NCAA tournament. You really want the top four teams to be the final four teams uh, in the Pac-12 tournament, and you want great games. You want a good matchup, uh, quad one matchup for both of those teams um, that are in the finals and in the semifinals to help boost the resume of. Uh, the teams that are going to get into the NCAA tournament, which right now looks to be four after Stanford has just collapsed. Otherwise, I'm going to cut this one short, but I think the Oregon State Beavers are a team to watch and also Arizona State. And you can you can lump in there Utah. Um, Utah is just, they, they can't win away from the road. They're so inconsistent that it's just, they they have the talent to get to the semifinals. But it's just so inconsistent that I can't I, – I have more of a belief in Oregon State and Arizona State at this point to make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, but that middle of the pack is going to be really interesting to watch. Call me crazy. I think Washington is going to win a game. Uh, I think they're going to win their first game. Um, you know, they, they've been playing better basketball lately. Their record is just, it's horrendous. They're 5-20 and 20 overall, but they've been playing, you know, better than they have all season over the past three or four games. And that's really important heading in um, to the Pac-12 tournament. You have nothing to lose. Quad A Green is probably gone at the end of the season. Uh, you know, so I think that Washington wins a game. It's going to depend on the matchup, the final standings, and all that. But I, I do think Washington can pull it out. California, I don't even know. Last year, I had expectations coming into this season that were much higher than the result that California has put together. 3-17 and 17 in conference play is awful. Uh, I was expecting potentially uh, a 500 season in conference, and this is, this is just terrible. There's no, no way around it. But, yeah, that's my, that's my brief view of the Pac-12 tournament. I will throw it back down to Nick, and I am glad that we got to this point. I'm glad that the season has worked out, but there's still a few games left. There's still COVID issues that could pop up, so let's just hope we get through the end. All right, guys, I'm back, and I'm really happy that Dane mentioned how well the Pac-12 basketball season has run thus far this year. Obviously, in comparison to the football season, it's done a lot better. And if you just look at the year in hoops in totality, with the exception of Oregon's month-long hiatus and a couple few breaks here and there, it's run pretty darn smoothly. Obviously, Dane just said we got to get through the Pac-12 tournament. Fully agree with that statement. But thus far, it, it's been a pretty good job. And even Oregon was able to make up all their games. So give credit where credit is due. Seriously, the Pac-12 has done a pretty darn good job with their hoop season, and not all conferences can say that. I think that's very fair to state if you look at some of the other leagues out there. Anyways, moving forward here, last week I promised why I don't, or I promised why I'd tell you why I don't think that 
UCLA is a top one or two team in conference. I gave that honor to USC and Oregon. And I'm going to stick with the Trojans for now. <laughs> Even though they've been playing pretty darn interesting as of recently. But I'm still going to stick with Oregon and USC. But I got three reasons here why I think that the Bruins aren't one of the two best teams. And I'll get to that kind of shortly here. But I want to give a quick analogy for y'all NBA buffs out here. This year's Bruins team is like the NBA's version of the 2004 NBA championship winning the Detroit Pistons. But they're not the 2004 Pistons because they don't have a good enough front line. And I'll dive into that more in a second. But what I mean by that analogy is they have a bunch of really good players but they don't have the superstar. And come March, you're probably going to need a superstar because even though these lesser teams from top to bottom talent-wise may not you know, match up athletically with the Bruins, I mean, just think about it logically. A team like Loyola Chicago, did they make the Final Four a couple years ago? So anything can happen in March, and if you have... Like that one elite player, you can really stop and stymie some of these upsets before the other team even gets a chance to believe. Because a lot of tournament ball is just those lesser teams starting to believe. And I think that UCLA may not be able to put a team away. And again, that's kind of my analogy with the Pistons here. I don't know if that made any sense, but I'm rolling with it either way. But do remember the 2004 Detroit Pistons had Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace protecting the hoop. Most notably, Ben Wallace. And UCLA does not have that elite rim protector. Anyway, circling back here to why I think that UCLA is not one of the best two teams in conference. And I'm going to give you my three reasons now. One, obvious caveat here. Obviously, the injury to Chris Smith. I mean, I think that goes without saying. But that's not one of my three reasons. I just want to make sure that that is stated. First reason is going to be Johnny Juzang equals Monte Ellis. And for those unfamiliar with ex-NBA player Monte Ellis, he was an extremely high-volume scorer, amazing player, could put the ball in the rim, could drive to the hoop, could slash, could shoot, could do really just about anything with the ball in his hands. And Johnny Juzang is pretty similar. But they don't have that like factor. It's not like a LeBron or Kobe kind of hopping back to they don't have a star thing. And looking at Juzang here, even though he has the ability to score at a high volume as seen in his 25 points on 58.3% from the field in the loss to CU, he just doesn't strike me as the guy. Like I just said, not a Kobe, not a LeBron, not an Evan Mobley, not a Chris Duarte. And he just doesn't strike me as that guy. Come NCAA tournament time, I could see him having an off game. And in the tourney, one off game could mean elimination. He did score in double figures in four out of his last five outings, but he just, again, he just doesn't strike the fear into the opponent away in Evan Mobley, Chris Duarte, or even a McKinley Wright does. To be fair now, he is much improved for the beginning of the year, much improved. And he will likely make an all-pack 12 team. I'd probably guess second team, maybe honorable mention, maybe first team, but there are better players out there. There are. Now, two years down the road, this kid will probably be up for Pac-12 player of the year. But he's just not quite there yet. And if I was a gambling man, which I don't know if I am. I've never actually been to Vegas. <laughs> never really bet on much besides for a little video game with friends, that type of thing. But if I was, it may prove wise to call a Bruins upset in the first round. I don't know if they're going to survive that first weekend. 
I'm not going to say that definitively, but I do not see this team making a deep tournament run by any means necessary. So first reason, Johnny Juzang, even though he's a high-volume scorer akin to Monte Monte Ellis, he's not a superstar. He's not a superstar. Two, Cody Riley. And again, he's another one of those guys I really want to cheer for, but I also don't think he's consistent enough to take UCLA past the Sweet 16. In his last six outings, he scored in double figures three times, which isn't bad, but I'd expect more from a player his caliber. His high over the last six was 17 against ASU and five against UW. And while he's a great athlete, he's likely to come up against some very talented big men, especially come NCAA tournament time, who could really take advantage of his six foot nine, 255 pound frame. And the most notable thing here, and this circles back to the 2004 Detroit Pistons reference, he lacks elite verticality to be considered an adequate rim protector. So UCLA Bruins really don't have any rim protection. I mean, Jalen Hill, I don't know if you can consider him that guy. So I think that teams are really going to be able to take advantage of that. And even though their squad, their squad defense, trying to switch the word there, <laughs> even though their team defense is obviously solid under Mick Cronin's mindset, you know, he preaches defense, hard-nosed basketball. They're only 97th in the nation in scoring defense, allowing 67.5 points per game. And if this team had a Chris Boucher or an Evan Mobley type next to Cody Riley, I think it'd be the absolutely perfect combination. But unfortunately for Bruins fans, they don't. So I just don't really see that rim protection. I just don't see it, guys. So second reason would be Cody Riley, not a true rim protector. Uh, not a true rim protector. Third reason, maybe my funnest reason, is going to be Jaime Jaquez, and he's got to score more. He just got to get jiggy with it, man. <laughs> In his last five outings, he scored three points twice and nine points once. That's not going to get it done. And if UCLA is going to make a deep, deep tournament run, which is usually expected in Westwood, in my opinion, Triple J is the factor. Triple J is the factor for sure. Now, the Bruins have a balanced scoring attack, but it just feels like there's something different when he gets going. He always plays with heart. That, that's obvious. But something tells me that the Bruins will all feel a little bit motivated to do the right things once Hawkes hits a couple three-pointers. I have no proof of this. It's just kind of a gut feeling, an energy, maybe a vibe. My dad was a hippie, can you tell? <laughs> Seriously, just when he hits a couple three-pointers, I feel like the other guys are going to hustle harder on defense, take charges, block shots, and dive on the floor the way Triple J would. And there's just something about his energy. It's infectious. It's truly infectious. But he's got to score the rock, man. He's got to score the rock. I mean, his consistency is more than questionable. It's been very inconsistent, to be quite frank. Really, like Cody Riley as well, he's been pretty inconsistent as well. Juzang's the only guy who's really held it down. But I completely lost my train of thought there. <laughs> I was going off the notes, going off script, and we're going <laughs> to... Maybe maybe I should have limited my Bill Walton and uh, stayed to the actual notes and talked about basketball. But seriously, so where I was actually going with that is Hawkins' consistency is really questionable. Really just like probably most of the players on UCLA with the exception of Tiger Campbell and Johnny Juzang. But Hawkins has shown that he can do more than just hustle. Most recently against UA, he scored 25 points on 83.3% shooting from the field. I mean, that's phenomenal. If he could even do half that, I mean, that'd be marvelous. 
And while scoring may not be his biggest asset to the team, for me to consider the Bruins a top two team in conference, I'd like to see him score at least 12 points a game. So that's going to be my third reason there. Jaime Hawke is not scoring the Rock enough. And if the Bruins can be considered that top two team in conference or make a deep tournament run, at least get past that first weekend, I'm going to need more to him. So three reasons, guys, why I don't think the Bruins are elite team, or I don't want to say they're not an elite team, but why I don't think they're one of the top two teams in conference. One, Johnny Druzang is not a superstar. He's a hell of a player, but he's not a superstar. Two, Cody Riley and the entire Bruins defense, just they don't have adequate rim protection. And three, Jaime Jaquez really needs to start uh, really needs to start scoring the rock more. So that's actually going to do it right there for today's show. Wait, is it? Nah, not yet, baby. Today, we're going to kick it and we're going to rock it with Bartlett's random topic of the day. But guess what? Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? It's not Bartlett's random topic of the day today. Want to know what it is? It is Miller's random topic of the day. So I'm kicking it right the heck back down to Tucson where Dane's going to give you him. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I was going to say Bartlett's random topic of the day where Dane's going to give you Miller's random topic of the day. All right, y'all. Miller's random topic of the day. Halibut is the best fish. <laughs> nah, I'm just playing. But no, I'm going to talk about two things. One thing I think is just been on my mind, the Sean Miller contract situation at Arizona. I think he's going to be extended. I think that it's kind of the only choice the university has at this point. And despite Sean Miller's shortcomings, you know, and results and um, let's face it, when you have five-star talent and you can't get to the final four, it just makes you wonder. But um, yeah, so I'm going to talk about Sean Miller briefly and, but my really what I'm, rubbing my hands together about is my pick for the Pac-12 coach of the year. Again, this is recorded on Tuesday night and there's a game tomorrow that is going to, there's a couple games tomorrow that are going to impact it. But for me at this point, it's Wayne Tinkle at Oregon State. And me and Nick over the past year, since we've been covering basketball for sports Pac-12, we have at times been highly critical of Wayne Tinkle, and there's no way that we can hide it, and I think it was legitimate for parts of last season, and coming into this season, both me and Nick were saying, this is probably the make-or-break year for Wayne Tinkle out there in Corvallis, and he has shined like a bright star in the middle of the night. He has put together one of the most surprising seasons, considering the expectations of my, you know, possibly in the Pac-12 era, I think they were picked to win two or three or four games this season, and they they're right now they're nine and nine. They're at 500 in conference play. They have an opportunity to get a bye, the fifth seed in the Pac-12 tournament. They have that opportunity. It's within their reach. They have to beat Utah tomorrow, which is Wednesday. And if they beat Utah, then they have a matchup against Oregon, who they've already beaten, who Wayne Tinkle has a winning record against, and who they've had their number over the past six-ish seasons. Um, yeah, so that's that's my two cents right now. Wayne Tinkle, Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Final bit of my random talk, 
topic, Sean Miller and Tucson, Arizona, University of Arizona Wildcats. I think the University of Arizona has no choice but to extend Sean Miller. Whenever Arizona fans talk among themselves about what to do with Sean Miller, first off, he's a very polarizing figure. The people who love him are absolutely head over heels. They will they will die on the hill for Sean Miller. The people who feel different, it's not that they don't like Sean Miller. It's just that the results just haven't been there. Um, there's been several seasons where, like the year when Arizona had DeAndre Ayton, the Cats lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Buffalo by like 20. To freaking Buffalo. Like, that's not good. And two or three years before that, Arizona lost in the first round to Wichita State. And Arizona has lost in three Elite Eights since Sean Miller has been here. He just, it just, it, for me personally, it comes down to how Sean Miller does his rotations. And it, 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 he makes his players play like they're on eggshells, where if they make a single mistake, they get yanked out of the game. And these guys, some of them at least are NBA caliber, at least potentially. So when you're taking them out of the game for mistakes, they view it as like their career is in jeopardy. And then they play rigid and they play hesitant because they don't want to get yanked out of the game. And he's been doing this for like 10 years. So that's one of his flaws as a coach. It's one of the few flaws he has as a coach, I think. He does a great job managing the game through timeouts. He's a great recruiter. Normally, he has good defenses. The past five years, they have not been good. The offenses have been good the last few years, but the defenses have fallen off. Um, and yeah, so but but like I said, because of this FBI investigation, because the NCAA sanctions that are coming, which I think are going to be a two-year ban from the NCAA, which is going to make it three years that Arizona is not going to be in the postseason because of a ban personal opinion there haven't heard anything to confirm that we also haven't seen the NOA but the word in Tucson is that ESPN has won its lawsuit to get the release of that NOA so that NOA should probably be coming out I'd say by April mid-April or sooner and that'll be an interesting um interesting thing to read about but yes so (laughs) the university doesn't have a choice they got to keep Sean Miller while this FBI, NCAA penalties are still ongoing, haven't been resolved. By the way, that FBI investigation was first announced in 2017 in August. It's been almost four years. Arizona still has not received its punishment. Recruiting has been absolutely gutted. Arizona is required to go after international four stars and mid to low four stars in the States. It's just... It's a far cry from the five-star, one-and-done, top five recruits they had been getting. You know, Aaron Gordon, Laurie Markin, and DeAndre Ayton. That's just not happening anymore. Derek Williams, back in 2012, he was the second overall draft pick. So anyways, we'll see how all that goes. Thanks, Nick, for letting me come on the show. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And the Danny Nick Show will be back, I don't know, next week or whenever it's going. So see you guys then. I really thought you were about to talk about halibut for five minutes. I I would have not been mad at that. That would have been respectful, man. That would have been respectful. So thank you all for tuning in as always. It is time to conclude and summarize today's episode. So Dane broke down the Pac-12 tournament. I came in and told you why I don't think UCLA 
is one of the top two teams in conference and probably unlikely to make a deep tournament run. And Dane came in with Miller's random topic of the day where he talked about the great season of Wayne Tinkle. And me and him definitely both were pretty harsh on him last year. So good thing you brought that to the light as well as Sean Miller's contract situation. Hey guys, Pac-12 tournament is right around the corner. It is 5.55 p.m., which means I finished this episode just in time to go watch UCLA versus Oregon. Pac-12 regular season crown almost on the line. Thank you for tuning in as always, guys, and Cheetos and Tuna.